power on. Legendary films and TV shows. Or just pure shit. The legendary host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. Sovereign at the movies. of tomorrow is here to talk about the man of tomorrow <laughs> the other man of tomorrow i guess i should say or more particularly a tale of the man of tomorrow's mustache <laughs> and i am talking about uh when i say man of tomorrow not me but the other well we could both use this name no no <laughs> i would not be so presumptuous but I am talking about Superman, more particularly Henry Cavill's Superman and his mustache or his digitally edited out mustache. No longer, uh, of course, originally for the 2017 film Justice League. But we're here to talk about Zack Snyder's Justice League or what is affectionately called, eh, maybe not sometimes so affectionately called, the Snyder Cut. Uh, now, if you're as confused as fuck, don't worry. Everybody is. <laughs> no, uh, not everybody is. But I will explain some of the history of this film uh, around this film for you. And yes, this is another Sovereign at the Movies, which have actually been, I mean, we're only a, a few episodes deep on that and, and have been incredibly popular. Uh, really honored by that, by the download numbers on it. And I had teased in my Wonder Woman 1984 review uh, that I would get to this that I, you know, would review, uh, Zack Snyder's justice league. Uh, boy, <laughs> what a ride to get here because of course, originally, you know, this is basically a director's cut on a far grander scale to the tune of a, of $70 million worth of, uh, redone or, or new special effects to, uh, I don't know how much is new music. There's some debate on that, but we'll, we'll talk about the music a little bit later, as well as some reshoots, uh, I believe with actors that had started in October, 2020. And then, you know, come, come end of March or March uh, 18th, 2021, particularly uh, Zack Snyder's justice league, the redone version, again, these, the director's cut though, even grander uh, of the 2017 justice league ended up getting released. Now, of course, the Snyder Cut, as it's called, and probably how I'll reference it from here on out, uh, gets, you know, it has, has been a, 
almost a social media uh, 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 trope meme. Pick your term uh, because the campaigning of the uh, fan community to get this film has been one of the, shall we say, louder voices on the internet since 2017. And basically since the 2017 version of the Justice League movie, uh, you know, was, was <laughs> to call it a flaming turd would be uh, a little kind. So we'll get into a little bit of history around that. And that history will include, if you're wondering, what are all those jokes about Superman's mustache? Uh, well, you'll, you'll get it. <laughs> but if you, if you happen to have seen, uh, the 2017 justice league, uh, movie, you'd know exactly what I'm talking about because it's fucking unavoidable. Uh, what, what was going on there? So let's, let's get into this. We'll talk a little history of how all this came to be. And then we'll get into my actual review of the movie and whether or not I liked it. Um, if you, can't tell already. Um, I did not like the 2017 justice league movie or the 2017 version. Uh, so, you know, there's no, <laughs> there's no big reveal there. Of course I reviewed it years ago, uh, somewhat briefly because I really didn't like it that much. Uh, I reviewed it years ago on a sovereign tech prime episode, uh, I guess. So I saw that in theaters when it came out, uh, there was really no way I was going to miss you know, d despite anyone feeling hits or misses, uh, like say with, you know, Batman V Superman, which another movie that I like, and you have to understand that both the Snyder cut and, you know, the 2017 version of justice league there, it's really a direct sequel to, uh, Batman V Superman. Uh, and I would say particularly the ultimate edition of that movie, because that's another movie where, Okay, if you went to go see that in theaters, you were given a two-hour snack version, basically, of it. But then when it came out, uh, you know, on home video, it was available as more of a three-hour film. And I would argue, I mean, you know, the theatrical version, um, I don't think I've even seen that. Uh, I I only saw the the Ultimate Edition and I enjoyed the fuck out of that movie. I mean, I, to, to this day, I like that movie and have watched it multiple, multiple times again, which I can't say for 2017's justice league. I only saw that in theaters just that once, but it was that bad. I could never bring myself to really watch it again, but I've definitely watched Batman V Superman ultimate edition, uh, multiple times. And so th this gets into, because again, to, to understand the 2017 justice or the 2017 version of justice league. This is a movie that was being made by Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder's uh, daughter dies. We don't need to get into that story. He has to, t you know, he, he has to take a break. Like he has to get away from film and totally understandably. Right. Um, he has to get away from the movie, from making it. And so in comes, uh, you know, Zack Snyder, who I think is absolutely brilliant, a brilliant director who basically started off with, uh, he did the remake of George Romero's Dawn of the dead in 2004. Then he went on to, and this is where, you know, he, I mean, yeah, I, I can kind of dig horror movies and you know, the, the remake, whatever. I'm also usually not one for remakes, but, uh, where he really caught my eye was in his, and, and where I, 
learn to really trust him to understand how to bring a comic book to life. Okay. Uh, unlike just about any other director who can't really seem to pull it off minus maybe Richard Donner, who we will talk about Richard Donner, uh, in, in a little bit here. But, uh, when he did 300 in 2006, when he made that, that film based off of the Frank Miller comic, uh, that movie is an absolute masterpiece. Uh, it's sequel in 2014, 300 rise of an empire. He didn't direct it, but he wrote it. And it certainly showed off, in my opinion, his skill as a writer uh, as well. And that was an even more impressive feat because basically the comic, the sequel comic by Frank Miller for 300 uh, didn't come until years after that movie even was made. Right. It was made at what was it? Xerxes was the name of the, of the comic book. Um, you know, so for Zack Snyder to pull that off, phenomenal. Uh, I mean, really just, you know, the. 300 alone was enough. Then there's sucker punch another tremendous film, which apparently has a director's cut out there. I, I don't know how much we need that. I, that gets into weird territory because you can have weird conversations about sucker punch, but a tremendous film. And of course I would argue his creative abilities go on full display for 2013's man of steel, uh, kind of the reboot of the Superman franchise. Uh, much needed after Superman returns. Not that Superman returns is as bad a film as I think most people think of it, but you know, there's a reason that most people don't think of it. You know, it's, it's kind of that forgettable, even though at the time it was the most expensive movie ever made. Uh, anyway, when Zack Snyder came in and did man of steel, uh, that, that movie's incredible, you know, and I've always complimented that film. Um, I mean, I, I, I absolutely can't believe actually just how good that movie is and how much is on display there. Um, and you know, in fact, I was bringing up in the wonder woman, 1984, uh, review, I brought up how, you know, there's this great moment that basically we're never going to get because they completely fucked up the character of max Lord, uh, in, in that movie. Uh, when, when wonder woman in the comics during the OMAC project, when she snaps max Lord's neck, you know, like in front of people and, you know, that, that creates this real like tragedy. And for the comic book reader, you're looking at it, you go, holy shit. Wonder Woman just snapped somebody's neck. Zack Snyder, I feel like kind of stole that beat because he's a comic book fan. He kind of stole that beat and gave it to Superman in Man of Steel. And it worked just as well. And I know that was a massive critique. And for a lot of people killed the film of man of steel where, you know, Superman kills somebody. And that's always sort of been against Superman's code, right? Kind of similar to Batman where Batman doesn't, you know, use guns or kill people. Uh, of course, Zack Snyder came out and said, yeah, you know, those are, those are aging morals and blah, blah, blah. You know, like that's not how we, how we roll these days. He kind of shot back at everything. Uh, and some people didn't really like what he had to say. Um, I don't agree with, Zack Snyder's reasoning, but holy fuck, do I agree with, you know, taking that moment and scene and basically like wonder woman experienced in the OMAC project where Superman, you know, experiences this moment and it's just, it's the only thing he can do, you know, to save like these kids from dying. He's got to, you know, he has to uh, snap general Zod's neck. Uh, and, and I think it created a very powerful scene. Um, but it also gave me, you know, that, that whole movie just gave me such incredible confidence in 
Zack Snyder's ability. I mean, 300 already did it, but Man of Steel just, you know, put it together completely where I had complete confidence in his ability, you know, to put together uh, a comic book film. Um, now, some people will bring up Watchmen. Um, I mean, there's a couple things we can say to this because, well, A, you you get you got a, a very different, you have like three, four, it's almost like Blade Runner. You have so many cuts of Watchmen. Um, and some of those cuts are better than others. Uh, he did not write that. And I think that he's at his best when he went, Zack Snyder's at his best when he is both director and writer. Um, but Watchmen, I mean, you know, that one could argue it's almost like Dune where it's the impossible film to make without changing it dramatically from its source material. Right. And you know, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I'm not never going to sit down and watch Watchmen. No pun intended there. Uh, really again, it's just, and I get it. I know how amazing of a comic book it is. Uh, no, the, you know, whatever series and crap that was made out of it is not any better. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, again, I could just, I can easily say that, well, you know, every, some directors or every director has their turd, right? Every director has their their flaming pile uh, that they put out there. Or I can, you know, just say, well, it's because he didn't have, you know, uh, full writing uh, uh, credit or, you know, capability for it. Duties, more specifically. And which is probably why the later cuts are, are a better film uh, and allowed to go uh, longer. Clearly Zack Snyder likes to tell a very long story. When we get to talking about the Snyder cut for justice league, um, one of the major critiques of it, and it is a critique. I don't know why it's a critique. It shouldn't be. But one of the critiques is that it's a four hour plus film. Uh, I, 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 Again, there are times, yes, where I think there are films that are wildly overblown, but then there are times where that is not so. Give me the five-hour versions of Lord of the Rings, right? Give me the three-hour version of Batman versus Superman. We are talking about, I mean, I guess I'll touch on this quick here. We're talking about these gigantic characters, you know, Batman and Superman. And actually with Batman v Superman, you also had Wonder Woman in the mix, right? You're talking about these gigantic characters, uh, you know, each that really deserve their own films. It's a miracle if you can get them into three hours to say nothing of now. You, now we're talking about, you know, the entire fucking Justice League. Now we're bringing in an Aquaman. Now we're bringing in the Flash, Cyborg, you know, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Uh, how can you? I, I don't know how you could possibly not get or you have, you know, a film of that length, you know, and have all those characters in there and have them all get the treatment that they deserve. Right. I mean, nobody's complaining about Avengers. I mean, basically like Avengers Endgame, you know, the two of or the Avengers films, certainly the, the last two were basically one movie, right. And which chalks up to probably about six hours. And I don't see that many p- people complaining about that, but as much as fuck Marvel movies, cause they're shit. Um, at the same time, you know, I can respect that. Well, you want to get all of those, all those comic book characters into one film. You're going to have to make two movies or you're going to have to make it a singular four hour film or whatever shape it takes. That's just a necessity. Again, it speaks to the fact that critics aren't, aren't generally aren't comic book fans, right? Because they just don't goddamn get it at all. Or at least a lot of them don't. 
but some do, and I might quote a couple when we get into talking about the Snyder Cut. Now, back to the history. So, Zack Snyder uh, had to leave the film mid-production, and uh, speaking of Avengers movies, but uh, uh, asshat Joss Whedon uh, has to has to come in. Um, never been a fan of Joss Whedon. <laughs> just 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 putting that out there. I mean, I'm not saying he hasn't made uh, good stuff in the past. Uh, I thought Dollhouse was actually a great series. Um, but fuck Joss Whedon. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad the rest of the industry is caught up, uh, on that, but what a P I mean, alien resurrection. Anyone? Okay. Not a fitting replacement, uh, for this movie. His style is far too Marvel, far too, in my opinion, fast paced. Uh, it, He's dealing with the modern Greek gods and he can't handle, uh, that, that scale. He just can't. And, and Hey, not a lot of people can, you know, uh, I'm not saying it's an easy job. I mean, and then toss in basically Jack Kirby's fourth world, you know, toss in dark side, Steppenwolf and all that. And, you know, you really have to be, you've got to have a galactic mindset. Like we talk about on sovereign tech many times. Uh, you've got to be able to think that big at that scale. And Joss Whedon's just not capable of doing that. Um, I mean, and, and that's pretty clear based on just how, like how tight and small uh, Firefly was, you know, which is also probably one of the worst things, one of the worst productions science fiction wise in modern history and basically proves his inability to handle the grand scale. Like he, he's just, he's not there. Uh, and I mean, and then you look at his personal life and well, you know, separate the art from the artist. Sure. But at the same time, you know, you can tell this isn't one of the brightest guys out there. Thankfully, no one's ever handed Joss Whedon the keys to Star Trek. Uh, but not that that matters because we, <laughs> I guess we didn't need Joss Whedon to, to, uh, to, to ruin Star Trek. It's ruining itself. Um, but no, all that stuff's fan fiction today. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so Joss Whedon comes in, does not save the day, uh, clearly at all. Um, I, I gotta wonder what the fuck the mindset was around the direction choices. I mean, because here's the thing, like, so Joss Whedon came in and really did make this movie more his own, uh, to the point that, and, and, you know, there, there's a lot of rumor and hearsay and innuendo around what the hell actually happened here. Uh, but one of the major changes that occurred when Joss Whedon took over was that Danny Elfman was brought in to redo the entire score, uh, you know, the entire soundtrack for, for the film where originally it was junkie XL slash Tom Holkenborg, you know, same guy. Uh, I didn't know that until <laughs> like a year ago, but anyway, uh, same guy and which, you know, junkie XL was a fine pick because he had previously worked with Hans Zimmer on the first film in what I guess is basically going to be a trilogy. Uh, you know, that being Batman V Superman, you know, and for him to take over duties with justice league only made sense because at the time Hans Zimmer had said, okay, he's like, I'm done making superhero films. <laughs> Obviously that's not true. He scored wonder woman, 1984, even though if you listen to my review of that, clearly he phoned that one in. But, you know, having Junkie XL come in and, and do the score, I think is, is you know, a, a perfect choice. Like, it, it just makes sense. Now, <laughs> to be clear, 
Danny Elfman, I mean, I'm not knocking Danny Elfman. Couldn't. Absolutely one of the greatest composers, uh, certainly of the 20th century. I mean, just, you know, his Batman score, which part of, and, I, and this is one of the things that I actually applauded for the 2017 version of Justice League, was the inclusion of some of the original Batman music from, uh, you know, from the Tim Burton films. Uh, nice touch, Danny. You know, Danny Elfman's score was was fine. It was more than fine. It was probably the best part of the movie in 2017. And in fact, one of the things uh, I will say about the Snyder Cut is that as much as I'm talking about this changeover and complaining what Joss Whedon did, um, Danny Elfman's score is better than Junkie XL's. There, there it is. <laughs> you know, uh, We'll talk about the music more later on. Um, I mean, there's, it's not like there aren't positive things to say about it, but over, you know, pound for pound, Danny Elfman did a far better soundtrack and far more listenable soundtrack than what Junkie XL did. Junkie XL is clearly taking cues from Hans Zimmer. We'll talk about that. But point being, not that I'm knocking Joss Whedon bringing in Danny Elfman, clearly, okay, because again, he did the better soundtrack of the two, but it's pretty apparent he was going for a much different tone than what Zack Snyder was doing. And it just, it still seems like a very odd decision. So clearly wait, uh, Joss was making this his own film. Um, and you know, there, there's a part of me that wonders if he intentionally was trying to, to, to bomb this movie, uh, just to protect his precious Marvel universe. Um, which, okay. You know, this is certainly 2017's Justice League would be one of the rare DC movies uh, that is actually worse than your average Marvel film. It's rare, but, you know, credit where it's due. Uh, I don't know, but but the movie we got in 2017 uh, was horrible. And after the fact, uh, along there were some industry insiders that were coming out and fans, I mean, really just fans couldn't believe, you know, DC fans couldn't believe how could this movie be this bad? Like you, you'd almost have to intentionally fuck it up, you know, <laughs> like, like to, to make a movie with all of these characters and, you know, frankly, great acting all around, uh, you know, to, to make it a bad movie, how could this happen? And so a lot of people started saying, and again, industry insiders kind of came out. There were people saying, yeah, well, there's a lot of scenes and, and not just that, but there were, you know, from during the production, when Zack Snyder was still in charge, there were things that we knew Zack Snyder had filmed that did not appear major things that did not appear um, in the 2017 justice league. And so everybody's like, well, where is that? Is there an entire other version of this film? And then that campaign basically starts for hashtag release the Snyder cut um, on social media. Uh, and this was a pretty fervent campaign. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. Uh, I have said historically, you know, when I saw it, I said, forget it. It's never going to happen. Like they are never going to, you know, you can cry from the mountaintops all you want. Hashtag release the Snyder cut. And it's just not going to happen. However, (laughs) maybe in the future. Okay. When I make those kinds of predictions, I will caveat, caveat them with this statement, with this, 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 uh, uh, you know, basically this postscript, I will say that will never happen unless there is a global pandemic. Okay. 
or basically unless there's a year where Hollywood shut shuts down more or less. Right. Because let's be honest here. Okay. <laughs> the only reason that this got made Okay. And the only time, I mean, this isn't the first time something like this has happened. It's certain 2020 certainly, well, even that's not really a first time, but in the modern world, that's, that's a bit of a first time. Anything like any year has happened quite like that. Um, and when I say modern world, I guess, I mean, like ever since blockbusters have been a thing, you know, in theaters, um, which, you know, I mean, that's basically since 1977. Right. But point being is that if Hollywood didn't need to still make money and wasn't so, so fucking shut down, you know, like this would not have happened. They just wouldn't have cared because they would have kept going forward with, well, anything that they were going to even bother to make as far as Warner brothers goes uh, with the DCEU. But basically Hollywood got to make a $400 million movie for only 70 million. Right. And I mean, those numbers add up to where they could make money back on that, as well as possibly set up for whatever their production schedule uh, is as it's, I mean, and we know, you know, Black Adam and so many other things are coming up, but you get to hype all of that up as well. Um, I mean, the part of this, in my opinion, that really calls bullshit is that like, if this was just them caring about the fans, you know, if this was Warner brothers actually giving a shit about what the fans wanted, um, this wouldn't have just come out like on a streaming service and it would have concurrently had come out, you know, on home video in a lot of other ways, but instead, no, it was all about getting subscribers, hopefully on HBO max. I mean, this wasn't even put out in theaters when there was somewhat of a limited theater option, uh, for this to be in. So in a year, that being 2020 and leaking into 2021 a bit, in a year where Hollywood decided to basically admit that it actually had a back catalog of movies and created um, faux, well, what do, they, what do they used to call it? Created astroturf movements to have watch parties with directors, uh, you know, on on Twitter, right? Because somehow... Look, nobody cares about Tank Girl. Nobody. Me, I do. Yes, I have the Blu-ray. I still read the comic books. I've been reading the comic books since the 90s. Uh, you know, yeah, sure, I do. I enjoyed the movie. I watched it, you know, over and over again since 95 when that came out. But no one else cares about Tank Girl. You understand? And you create, I, I mean, Hollywood throughout 2020 was constantly, I mean, you know, because if it wasn't for the fact that they couldn't, really make new movies. They wouldn't pretend that they had any movies that came out in the past at all, unless they were going to make a sequel, which gets into another point where I said that this is not the first time that this has happened, but let us be clear here that the only reason that this got made was because of the, you know, the year that was 2020 because Hollywood was effectively shut down. That's it. It has nothing to do with fan service. It has not, I mean, yeah, sure. Zack Snyder got in there when they, when they cut him the check and he made it happen and he did it for the fans and he did it out of his passion. I'm not saying that he didn't, 
but I am saying that Warner brothers, like what greenlit this project had zero to do with hashtag release the Snyder cut. Other than that was a thing online. So if 2020 never happened, the Snyder cut would have never happened. Like, let's be abundantly clear about that. That again, I I mean, I can't stress this enough. Warner brothers does not give a shit about you. All they care about or about what you desire. All they care about is your asses and seats, which frankly has very little to do with what you really desire. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's more or less what they can trick you into doing. Hollywood has become so risk averse. Basically they don't think that, you know, you can, that you'll go see a movie in theaters more than once. Okay. They don't think the Titanic scenario, you know, James Cameron's Titanic, where people went and literally saw it 30 times. I'm not kidding about that. 30 times. They don't, they, they cannot take the chance that, that somehow that's going to happen. What they need to do is, is make something big enough, dumb enough to get as many people in theaters for one shot. And it doesn't matter if the movie's good or bad. They've just got to, they just got to hook you in, make you spend that first bit of money. Okay. And sit you down. And then they don't care what happens after that. They don't care if you like the movie. Really? They, they don't give a shit. And critics, are you kidding me? I mean, how many critics made Wonder Woman 1984 sound like, like it was a good thing when the embargo more or less went up on it. But then a week later, same exact critics, once they got to write their stories and not just tweet first impressions, once they got to write their stories, they, you know, then they trashed it. Then they're like, ah, you know, actually this isn't that good a film or there's this problem or blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just a machine. The, the whole thing, you know, everything, I mean, there's no reality on Twitter, you know, go, go, go shit yourself. If you think so, there's nothing real on social media in general, not just Twitter. Okay. And again, they don't really care. And Hey, look, I bought the fucking Blu-ray of wonder woman, 1984. Um, I would have bought the Blu-ray, I don't actually own the Blu-ray of the 2017 Justice League. In fact, I actually have every Blu-ray of every DCEU uh, movie to date, even that that fuck shit about Harley Quinn. Uh, <laughs> but I would have bought this Blu-ray sight unseen. Um, I actually would have gone to theaters, more particularly if going to theaters was a thing. Um, I probably would have gone to theaters to see this. You know, Ellen and I take a, take a rare night off and, and, and go sit down in the theaters for four hours. And you better believe I would have done the four hours. Be nice. If there's like three intermissions, but whatever would have done it. Okay. But let us be abundantly clear that Hollywood has no interest in making great movies or deep and meaningful movies. That doesn't mean that there aren't some directors that do. I think Zack Snyder does. We'll talk about that, but Hollywood in general, the money people, they think they're being smart or whatever, and, and they have no, no interest whatsoever in making something built to last as far as movies go that you're going to talk about forever. Now, back to my point about how this has happened before, and also it will bolster my whole point that the only reason this happened is because Warner Brothers, uh, like it was something viable for them to do. 
because they didn't have any new properties that they could really work on. It's something that they could close out the 2020 schedule, probably get a bunch of tax write-offs because they did start filming in October, 2020, um, you know, and, and, and just put something on the spreadsheets for 2020 here, just as they made sure the release of Wonder Woman 1984, uh, you know, came out in, in December, right at end of December. So that, that it, it all comes down to the spreadsheets now, and maybe one was kind of building up hype for another, right? Like Wonder Woman 1984, maybe they thought that they had a good movie instead of a bomb on their hands. And they thought that Wonder Woman 1984 could drum up some, uh, some excitement around, I mean, cause you're going to, you just get, you know, you get more Wonder Woman in, in, uh, you know, the Snyder cut. And you really do. I feel like you get a lot more scenes of her in this uh, version, but you know, they wanted to drum up for that. So anyway, to get back to my point. Uh, so what we had was a situation in 1977. Funny that that year comes up again. We had a situation in 1977 where Richard Donner, tremendous director and writer is making one of the greatest movies of all time. In fact, what is often called the last American classic, that being the 78 Superman with, you know, Christopher Reeve. And this movie now, I mean, you know, the 78 Superman, I mean, I've regularly called it the greatest comic book movie ever made, but really it's just one of the greatest movies ever made. I mean, it is perfection on such a rare level that, that Hollywood ever achieves. Uh, this movie was being actually double, you know, made two at the same time, Superman, you know, 78 Superman and Superman two, which would eventually come out in 1980 were, were both films are being made concurrently or somewhat concurrently. Okay. Thing is you get a little bit more into Superman twos, uh, production and Richard Donner, uh, there's a lot of different ways that this story goes. Um, there's the saying that Richard Donner had an argument with the Sulkins, with the Sulkin family who were, you know, producing, uh, more or less and had the rights to, to make the Superman movies. Um, I mean, and the Sulkins would be involved with Superman for over a decade. I mean, they'd make even the Superboy show and so on. Anyway, you know, I mean, there's, there's a statement that, that there was, uh, an argument, uh, between that, you know, between Richard Donner and the Sulkins, there was problems with budget, even though the Sulkins apparently told Richard Donner, you know, no cost too high, like whatever, there's no budget, just, just make the movies. Um, and, and then, you know, things go sour, whatever Richard Donner ends up getting replaced by Richard Lester and Lester is basically turns Superman two into a comedy. It's a very similar situation where, you know, you have greatness in Richard Donner and then you replace it with a goofball, just like Zack Snyder has actual talent. Joss Whedon has zero and, you know, but it is a goofball that replaces him. It's the same deal. Okay. And then for many decades, because, you know, I don't know that a whole lot of people knew about this back in the day, but for, for many decades, uh, you would have fans saying, Hey, at some point, you know, like, like there's gotta be other footage. And I'm sure I think Starlog might've even had photos of production stills 
that were not in, you know, the cut that we got of Superman two in 1980 compared to what Richard Donner was talking about. And, and so people knew that there were scenes out there. What ends up happening is around like 2004, 2005, something like that. Warner brothers reaches out to Richard Donner and says, and tells Donner whether Donner believes us or not, or whether Donner's just towing a company line here. I don't know. It basically says, Hey, you know, we've just, we've had fans for so fucking long for, for 20, you know, 30 years, whatever, or well, 25, I guess at the time, but 25 years that have been begging for the Donner cut. Very similar, right? To the Snyder cut. They've been begging for the Donner cut of, of, of Superman too. And you know, we, we're just, we're finally caving in. We give a shit about the fans and we're going to make, and we're going to let you, you know, put this together and you do what you need to do. And they did, uh, you know, and, and that's, and that's what Richard Donner said is, is how they approached him. Okay. They did give Richard Donner, uh, some, you know, uh, a budget and, you know, however many millions to do some new CGI, put in some new stuff into the films, restore a lot of the, the footage from the film. But, <laughs> Here's the thing. At that same time, Warner was making Superman Returns, right? By, uh, you know, which, which I mentioned earlier was the most expensive movie ever made at that time with a budget of like 250 million. It was the first movie to break, uh, the budget of, uh, that, that Titanic actually had funny that I mentioned that as well. But Brian Singer, see, is making Superman Returns. This is a reboot of the franchise, but a continuation, actually, not just a reboot, but really a, a, a true continuation from the Christopher Reeve movies. But it's only from Superman 1 and Superman 2 that it's a continuation. And, I mean, what's a better way to get people up to speed and to get them hyped up for this return of this version of the character than to give them a reason to watch Superman two again, that this movie will be a direct sequel to. So of course it makes sense for them. It's practically, I mean, whatever millions and I might, what, maybe, I don't know, 10 million. I, I forget what the budget was perhaps that, that he had, uh, that Richard Donner had in 2005 to make this direct to home, you know, version of Superman two would have been dynamite. If it got released in theaters, I would have went to go see it. And I'm glad that it got made. Don't confuse me. I'm not complaining. I'm really, really glad that it got made because it is a much better film. Um, I mean, there's some classic scenes or what I feel like are classic scenes from Superman two that aren't in it anymore, but regardless, I'm really glad Richard Donner got to do this, but say, I don't know, help say they gave him 20 million to make his cut of Superman two. That's basically just 20 million out of their marketing budget for Superman returns and it's money well spent, right? But that's my point is that if Superman returns, wasn't getting made, the Donner cut wouldn't have gotten made. There needed to be, it was, it had nothing to do with, I mean, other than, okay, they knew that there were like fans that kind of like would talk about it so they could make it sound organic, but it had nothing to do with appeasing those fans that had been apparently crying for it for, you know, 20, 25 years had nothing to do with that at all. Just like Zack Snyder's justice league had nothing to do with the hashtag release the Snyder cut campaign by fans, nothing to do with that at all. It's something that made their spreadsheets look good. Uh, I mean, one could almost argue. In fact, I'd be curious on those spreadsheets. Did Zack Snyder's justice league get written off as marketing or production? I wonder about that. 
you are the exact kind of gullible that Hollywood loves. The exact, no, not just gullible, the exact kind of stupid that Hollywood loves. If you think that they released this because they caved to pressure from hashtag release the Snyder cut campaigners, you are their kind of stupid. They are glad that you exist. And with that said, let's actually talk about Zack Snyder's justice league, the Snyder cut that we got. So I'll open this up with that. While I was incredibly glad that the Donner cut was able to get made, um, got the Blu-ray right next to me here, actually. I mean, just awesome, awesome version of the film. It was great. I mean, I was so happy in 2006 to be able to revisit that and, you know, to, to, let Richard Donner really make his vision come alive. And I think that he did. I'm sure he would have loved to have gone further, but you can only do so much with what you got. And, but he really did an amazing thing with what he had. Um, Zack Snyder's justice league. Well, same exact deal. I am so glad that Zack Snyder got to put his vision on the screen. I am so glad Frankly, this movie was fantastic, epic in every way that a Justice League movie should be. I mean, yeah, maybe it could have been more epic or whatever, but, it, you know, it's kind of their first first time out, right? Uh, I want to read a, a quote from, uh, actually from Variety, of all things, um, that I think really encapsulates a lot of what I'm going to say, but we need to get into the nitty gritty. Okay. I have my, as I do, and people seem to love to hear, uh, I have my, what I think are rarer or even unique takes on the matter uh, that I will, that I'll get in. But let me read this from, uh, from Owen Gleiberman at Variety quote, the new movie talking about Zack Snyder's justice league, the new movie and make no mistake. It really is a new movie is more than a vindication of Snyder's original vision. It's a grand, nimble, and immersive entertainment, or, or yeah, and immersive entertainment, a team of heroes origin story that at heart is classically conventional, yet it's now told with such an intoxicating childlike sincerity and ominous fairy tale wonder that it takes you back to what comic books at their best has have always sought to do make you feel like you're seeing gods at play on earth. Bingo. If you listen to my review, my last sovereign at the movies reviewing wonder woman, 1984, you heard me before I read this quote. This is before I knew about this quote. You heard me say very similar words of this is what comic books do. Certainly DC comics. This is what they are about. You know, seeing gods at play on earth. I almost said that verbatim. And this movie absolutely did that. This is, you know, you want to talk about galactic mindset? Fuck yeah. And they made sure credit was in the credits. Full credit given to Jack Kirby for the creation of the fourth world. Fucking right. Dark side, you know, and all of it. And man, oh man, <laughs> the shit we got to see in this movie. This time around, we got to see dark side in action. I mean, he didn't use the Omega beams, which is kind of weird, but we got to see him in action regardless. Uh, was in it. Fuck granny goodness. (laughs) We got to see granny goodness. I love that so much. (laughs) 
I mean, he kind of, you know, certainly off to the side, but, you know, definitely the left hand of dark side. Uh, fantastic uh, uh, seeing seeing that. Got much more of the planet apocalypse. And before I go further, the thing that maybe just threw off from the from the first seconds of the movie of just of the 2017 version of Justice League that completely got fixed in this. So it was notorious at the time that so Henry Cavill, uh, somewhat of a hotter property in 2017, not that he's really fallen off or anything, you know, especially after doing The Witcher. Um, Henry Cavill was at the time of making Justice League was also concurrently making at that time, the latest Mission Possible movie. And I think it was a Rogue Nation, that one. So in this movie, he has to have a mustache for, for Mission Impossible. Now, anyone that knows anything about Superman, Superman doesn't have a mustache. So there's a bit of a problem here, <laughs> okay? Because he's making these, you know, he's kind of going back and forth on making these films. Paramount Pictures, who's making the Mission Impossible movie, Warner Brothers making Justice 27 Justice League, Paramount says he's contractually obligated to have the mustache or, and, and if he breaks that contract, it's like $3 million or something that he has to pay out. It's crazy because Warner Brothers basically says, um, you know, to, to Paramount, Hey, look, will you, will, can you shave his mustache? Because here's the thing. We'll pay the contractual fee of $3 million and we'll pay the effects budget to digitally add in a mustache on him because it'll be a lot easier, more effective and cheaper. The effects would be more effective and the effects would be cheaper to add to digitally add a mustache than it is to digitally remove a mustache. Okay. You know, on, on the set of justice league, when, when we're doing scenes of Superman, I think this ultimately led to a reason why there's very little of Superman overall in the justice league movie or in the 2017 version of justice league in Zack Snyder's justice or, you know, in, in the Snyder cut, there's also, a you know, not a lot of Superman until you get later into the film. But ultimately I think that works like for, for the, for Zack Snyder's movie, it actually, it fits the emotional narrative. Okay. And, and I'm using that term very specifically emotional narrative. Okay. Not just the script, but the emotional narrative being laid out throughout the film. So it, you know, it really works in, in Snyder's favor there, but regardless, um, it looked, if you're, if, if you have a copy of the 2017 justice league or you saw it in theaters, you know, how ridiculous, like when, when, uh, Superman would talk, how ridiculous it looked like his lip. It looked like it was like flapping, like a, I don't know, like a duckbill or something. It was very strange. And, and it really threw off the film because you knew something wasn't right. Uh, but that, that isn't the slightest issue in the Snyder cut. It's not there. They refilmed, I'm sure, uh, necessary scenes, you know, with Henry Cavill and so on. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on the production. I really wanted to wait to do this review until the Blu-ray version came out. Now the Blu-ray version is coming out in Europe, in the UK, uh, I want to say on May 24th or 25th, something like that. Um, I don't know why it's not coming out in the States yet. I'm guessing they're still wanting to reel people into HBO max. Well, you're not going to get me on any streaming service. So fuck you. Uh, but I'll definitely buy the Blu-ray when it comes out. And I hope 
that we get director's commentary and that we get some, I mean, the, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the post-production because really this whole film was post-production <laughs> in many ways. I mean, there was principal photography done. I know that, but also, you know, a lot of this film was post-production. Uh, that story is going to be amazing to really see in, in some kind of like documentary format, or even if we could just get a, uh, commentary from, you know, Zack Snyder or director's commentary throughout the film. So I might revisit this a little bit. And by then it'd probably be in a sovereign tech prime episode, uh, when it actually, you know, when the, the Blu-ray gets released in the United States, or I cave in and have to get it from the UK, uh, which is fine because my Blu-ray player, my Sony Blu-ray player can play from any region anyway, even though I think the release that they did is region free that's coming out. But Regardless, right from the get-go, this movie, like, I mean, they got rid of one of the biggest problems of the film, okay? Uh, one of the biggest effects flubs, and, you know, I mean, I'll give a little bit of sympathy for the devil on Warner Brothers, because Warner Brothers, again, was willing to do whatever it took. Paramount was really, I, I think they just wanted this movie to fail. Like, that, that it just, I mean... That's why I kind of wouldn't be surprised if Joss Whedon went in wanting this movie to fail because it seemed like everybody was, was just out to get this fucking movie. You know, nobody wanted any of their established franchises to, you know, to get hurt by this. Disney didn't want their Marvel movies to get hurt and understand that like the mission impossible movies were basically the biggest franchise of the early of the aughts. Okay. From, from 2000, you know, uh, from 2000 to 2010, they were like the biggest franchise out there. Uh, I mean, minus, I guess if you want to count star Wars movies or something, you know, cause we did get a couple of those in the aughts, but certainly for Paramount, they were the biggest thing going. So, you know, this is Paramount's baby. This is their Marvel effectively that they have to protect. I mean, yeah, they'd have star Trek, you know, eventually, but, but you know, mission impossible was a big deal, but regardless, Zack Snyder really set so much, right. Um, there are things missing you know, it's not, it's not a perfect movie. I know uh, correction. Actually, I do think it's, it's, it's perfect in execution. Um, but you know, is the story and everything else about it necessarily perfect? Could there have been more other things you're wondering about? Yeah, there's those. Uh, in fact, I noticed, or I realized after the fact that I didn't give like a numbered ranking for wonder woman, 1984, which I usually do when I'm reviewing movies, wonder woman, 1984, I'm going to give it a six out of 10. Uh, the Snyder cut of the justice league. I'll give that a nine out of 10 easily, easily. And if there were just a couple other things in it, this baby could have been a 10 out of 10. I mean, really? So let's break this down by the technicals, uh, you know, as to why it's not the 10 out of 10. Um, the biggest thing to point out here is actually is the music. Um, look, junkie XL is a fine composer. Tom Holkenborg, whatever you want to call him, fine composer, uh, definitely of the, the, I don't know, even know if you want to call him newer breed, but of the newer breed, I mean, he just does, he does great work. Um, when he's working with some of the greats, like when he worked with Don Davis, uh, for, um, was it matrix reloaded that he worked with them on that? He did. I mean, that was, that was such great synergy they had going on. Same with, you know, Batman V Superman. When he worked with Hans Zimmer, great synergy going on on his own. He really can pull it off. I just feel like he was too much trying to be Hans Zimmer. And the problem is, is that as we've discussed in previous uh, episodes, 
Hans Zimmer's not Hans Zimmer anymore, right? He's, he's like a caricature of Hans Zimmer. He's almost to the point of self-parody. Maybe he knows that. Um, and while Junkie XL or Tom Holkenborg made excellent use of previous themes for the characters involved in Justice League, as in he made excellent use of Wonder Woman's music from her 2017 film, um, which let's be clear here, you know, Danny Elfman did too on, on that same score uh, or on the same movie score for the same movie. Ooh, that's confusing terms. But I feel like Junkie XL did a much better job of using Hans Zimmer's Man of Steel theme for Superman. And because basically you don't get a lot of Superman in the Snyder cut, nor did you in the original, you don't get a lot of Superman, but that theme keeps coming in and it doesn't reach it's, you know, really emotional, really poignant heights. Okay. That it does in man of steel until you get like to, you know, to the moment where, you know, suddenly you do get Superman, then it's allowed to reach those highs. But the tone, the theme is so fantastic that Hans Zimmer came up with and junkie XL's use of it basically drops in Superman as a character throughout the film, every time that music shows up and the symbol of Superman is just there. And it just, it really, really works. So the use of those of that music and wonder woman's music, that's fine. Okay. And a little bit of the guitars that he used, you know, for like the theme come together, which was a big part, you know, as in the Beatles slash Aerosmith slash Michael Jackson song that, um, that was used for the uh, promotional materials for the 2017 version of, of junk, uh, of, uh, of justice league. That was fine. The thing is, is that a lot of the soundtrack, like there's so, there's so much emotional weight happening visually. The soundtrack is fine. BGM, you know, background music for it, but it's nothing that really brings anything higher. And that's, what's disappointing about it. There's nothing wrong with it, but then there's nothing really right about it either throughout most of the film, except for the moments when he's playing with previous character established themes. And so because of that, I feel like it just doesn't, it doesn't do as, as solid of a job as Danny Elfman's uh, score did for the original version. And so I got to take a point off for that because it just, I mean, the score should have been so much more, you know, like there should be a very recognizable and it shouldn't be come together. There should be a very epic justice league theme that comes out of this. And you don't get that. And again, it's serviceable, right? It's not like it, in no way is it as bad as like, say for solo, a star Wars story where the soundtrack wasn't even serviceable. It actually detracted from everything that was going on because it was so terrible. This is a case where it was totally serviceable. There's nothing really wrong with it. But like I said, there's nothing really right about it either. Other than the use of those previous themes. Talk about the direction for a second. I mean, it's Zack Snyder. That was it was great writing. It's Zack Snyder. It was great. Uh, you know, no, no complaints on, on those, um, casting. I know they weren't going to change it this late in the game. Okay. <laughs> I still think Amy Adams is the weakest point of the DCEU as Lois Lane. I just don't buy it. I don't buy her as Lois Lane. It doesn't work. Granted, we got really spoiled with Terry Hatcher, right? 
I'm not kidding about that. Say what you want about, about the TV series, Lois and Clark. Terry Hatcher was phenomenal as Lois Lane. Um, and yeah, Amy Adams, just she, she's just not there. Uh, the rest of the cast, incredible. I mean, really, like like everybody else delivers. Uh, well, okay, no, wait. I still don't like Jesse Eisenberg as Luther either. Um, but there's so little of him in the movie, it doesn't really affect it. Uh, but I still think he, he's a, he's a fucking mistake, um, in, in, in most ways, you know, but anyway, <laughs> he's never done anything to me. He's not like Joss Whedon. I, <laughs> but I just, he just doesn't live up to actually the guy who played Lex Luthor in Lois and Clark also, I think is probably about the best Lex Luthor we've had next to Gene Hackman. But I mean, how do you best Gene Hackman at anything? You, you, you don't, right? But everybody else in the cast is top game. Henry Cavill's great, you know, when he needs, when he's there. Diane Lane, uh, as, you know, of course, is, is uh, Superman's mother, is Clark's mother. Uh, fantastic. Um, we even get some, uh, we get some more of the wise words from Jor-El uh, and Jonathan Kent, right? You know, Superman's two daddies. Uh, so we get to hear the words of Russell Crowe. We get to hear the words of Kevin Costner in their voices. Phenomenal. Ray Fisher as Cyborg. This is, this is one of the great justices, not injustice, but one of the great justices of Justice League, of this, of the Snyder Cut of Justice League, is Ray Fisher got to really be the fucking man in, you know, as Cyborg in this movie and delivered. I mean, he, he almost stole the show in this movie. Ray Fisher was so great. And I'm so glad for that because he, frankly, got fucked by Warner Brothers and just about everybody involved with the 2017 justice league. So kudos to, uh, you know, to Zack Snyder really bringing his character to, to full fruition and making him such an important character, which I mean, that's no small feat because like cyborg. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading about him in teen Titans and everything, but again, always a bit of second fiddle. Zack Snyder's able to make him walk amongst the gods as it were. He does the same thing with the flash does a tremendous job with the flash. Uh, I mean that, that, that was just a, a brilliant, brilliant move. Ben Affleck is, you know, is Batman fantastic. Jeremy, Jeremy Irons as, as Alfred. I mean, Michael Caine's a tough act to follow, but he did it. Uh, actually every Alfred frankly has been a tough act to follow. They've all been top notch actors and they need to be because you need to see what, you know, like the actor playing Alfred has to have so much gravitas have to has, has to have so much panache because you have to believe that Batman slash Bruce Wayne would pay fealty to him. And so you've got to have an actor that's just that damned good. And of course, Jeremy Irons is one of the best of all time, but again, everybody's at their best here. I mean, Gal Gadot is doing, you know, doing her thing. Uh, even Connie Nielsen is delivering with just a look, you know, as Hippolyta, just phenomenal, uh, Everybody's on. We even got the re-inclusion of the scenes uh, with Ryan Zhang as Ryan Choi, who of course would go on to be the Adam. And, you know, we kind of got to build him up and set him up as a character to come, uh, which was originally part of Zack Snyder's vision, but got completely cut out of the 2017 version. It was great to have him back uh, as well. And there were other characters that had gotten put on the, the cutting room floor, as it were in 2017, that 
eventually made, finally got their due, made their way back into the film. Um, we did get Harry Lennox as Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter was, it was in this film a lot and it was, it was brilliant. Uh, in fact, some very clever redoing of scenes, uh, that, that gave him real impact in the world and in the formation of the justice league, which I think is, is beautiful. Martian Manhunter, one of my favorite comic book characters, uh, really underrated and underserved. Um, it's awesome to have more of him and, and Harry Lennox did a, did a fantastic job there. Uh, boy, who, who else did we get re-included, uh, into the movie? We did finally get, well, we got more of the scenes with Deathstroke. We're, we're going to end up talking about that. Um, what's that guy, man, genie, whatever the hell his name is, you know, did fine. Jared Leto, fuckhead, <laughs> who I really can't stand in anything he does, uh, was pretty amazing to see. I mean, you know, did well enough for the scene where we needed Joker. Um, and that was, that was actually pretty welcome. Um, also really, really pleased that Joe Morton as cyborg's dad, Silas stone, that Joe Morton got a lot more, uh, uh, airtime, you know, got a lot more or screen time. I should say, got a lot more screen time on this and became uh, a real emotional thrust for the film more so than, than the 27 justice league. He was, he was fantastic in this and what a great actor, you know, I mean, somebody who came on the scene back in the day in Terminator two, um, and then, you know, just really has been a major part of a, I mean, he's been in comic book, uh, related items for many years now. He was in Smallville. I mean, a bunch of others, uh, really, really great to, to see him. Uh, yeah. Again, become a real emotional cornerstone, uh, for this film. And of course, you know, Jason Momoa is, you know, doing his thing and <laughs> as he does, uh, is Aquaman, uh, you know, every, everybody's, everybody's delivering. Oh, and we did finally get the scenes back in. Um, now, which admittedly post Aquaman make a lot more sense now that we have, uh, Willem Dafoe back as, as Volko, uh, which was, was a nice touch as well. But I wanted, I want to touch and Ezra Miller, by the way, did fine as the flash. He was funny, you know, and I, I, I appreciated the good looking Jewish boy jokes and everything. That was, that was a lot of fun. Um, I want to talk about the emotions. I want to talk about the, you know, like I just said, emotional cornerstone and the, like the emotional tone, the, uh, the emotional narrative, this movie being four hours long. Cause this is, this is the main critique that people hold against it. Most critics say, basically say this is better than the 2017 version. One could argue that's not saying much if you wanted to go that far, but really a lot of them are, are pretty positive on this. But a lot of them are also the other thing that most of them are saying is that, Oh, this shouldn't have been four hours. I completely disagree. The reason that this movie is four hours, I think is because Zack Snyder to the point of putting in entire emotion. Uh, I, I hate to keep using the word emotional, but it's what I got. Um, slower, deeper emotional versions of very popular songs, songs, not ripping shit from other movies, uh, or like unrelated movies. Okay. Like, uh, like Hans Zimmer did in Wonder Woman 1984, but songs he allowed for there. There's, this is a very slow paced film. Like there are moments where you absolutely, even when it's in the middle of action of a very, you know, uh, like something exciting is happening. 
you know, some hero is saving the day. The flash is saving a gal from a car crash, whatever it is. The moments get to breathe. They get to take time to the point that you almost get an entire song, you know, in there and it as in taking up three and a half minutes or so. And I get to breathe for once watching a movie instead of it being a mind numbing Marvel film, you know, or a mind numbing JJ Abrams schlock or whatever, you know, that it's a, it's a movie that takes its time and you get to appreciate what's going on, not just what the character's going through or what the character's doing, but you get to appreciate even the special effects. Something is, you know, you get to appreciate the visuals. You get to appreciate the, you know, what's happening here. What are the emotions behind what's happening? You get to take the time with the movie. It's not Star Trek Discovery. Where, you know, basically we're just looking at the characters constantly slack jawed with action scene after action scene. No, you get to take so much time and you get to revel in what's happening. You get to enjoy it, appreciate it, or feel sad while it's happening. You, This movie is four hours because, thank Satan, you get to understand what's going on and you get to, again, you get to breathe. That alone makes this movie a nine out of ten. And I don't think that it really feels that slow because there's there's so much big stuff happening and so many big uh, characters and big actors there. Everything's just on that epic scale, but you get to breathe with all of it. It's not just bashing you over the head. Oh man. Do you want to, to give you an example, funny that I mentioned mission impossible earlier. It's amazing how all this stuff works in a circle, but I guess when you've been around for 40 years and thank you to those, by the way, who did, you know, email and reach out and said, happy birthday to me. I'm, I'm honored. My birthday was on May 12th. Um, You know, maybe it's just because I've been around for 40 years, but I'm not that old, <laughs> especially for what I'm about to talk about. But after I watched this movie, do you want to know the next thing? And it wasn't like I watched it right after, but you want to know the next thing I watched after that? Speaking of Mission Impossible, I watched original episodes of Mission Impossible. And I need to do a review on this because uh, CBS released a finally a Blu-ray package and it's stunning um, of the original 1966 mission impossible series. that was wildly popular back in the day, but I went back and watched that. And I don't think I realized that I was doing that subconsciously, but I was doing it subconsciously because modern audiences today, I don't think could really handle the 66 mission impossible. And it's because modern audiences are stupid, but the 66 mission impossible is a very slow, methodical, uh, you know, plays with timing, not time, but timing. It, 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 it's a very, like, it's, I mean, there's action, there's things happening, but everything is very paced. Again, methodical is really the best word, and that's what makes the show so great. And I think that I went and watched that because I finally experienced something today that actually lets you appreciate and enjoy and chew on what's happening and breathe. And the original mission impossible was so great about that, about being very slow and methodical and letting you appreciate the action and the brilliance of what's being put on the screen. And that's exactly what happened here with, uh, with Zack Snyder's justice league. Amazing for that reason alone. 
it's important to understand that there was debate until very late in the game, uh, as in into like January of 2021, just a couple months before the movie would actually get released or the Snyder cut would get released. There was debate of, are we going to make this a mini series, like a six hour mini series, or are we going to make it one long film? Um, I wouldn't have minded the miniseries. And in fact, the movie itself is broken up into chapters and like with chapter headings, the whole thing, you know, where it's like, this is and, and like, even there's an epilogue at the end, uh, which is, which is awesome because you get so much extra shit in that, that, you know, was left on cutting room floors, floors across probably multiple movies. Um, really well done. And yeah, I wouldn't have minded if it was a miniseries cause it could have worked that way, but you know, getting it all in one big epic package is, I don't know that I can say which is better, but it definitely works regardless of which format they wanted to go with. This had to be at least four hours long for us to be able to take that time with the characters, with the action, with the story, it worked. And I hope someone in Hollywood pays fucking attention to that someone in the entertainment industry, probably not because I think the entertainment industry is basically like it's eating itself into non-existence right now, or at least Hollywood is, uh, they're, they're in bad shape. Again, that's why I think they desperately made this. Fortunately, at least for me, it paid off because it delivered. I mean, if you wanted to, you could really see, we don't know if we're going to get sequels to this. It's certainly open to sequels. Okay. Um, but if you wanted to consider, Man of Steel, Batman V Superman, and the Snyder Cut. If you wanted those three movies to see that as a trilogy, you really could, and it'd be a great way to watch them and experience them. You know, yeah, there's other movies within it that are awesome. I mean, Aquaman is an is is an insane epic. Uh, in some ways, a bit of an antithesis to the Snyder Cut, but it just does it so well, and it and it, it just executes getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger uh, that that it works, and you just love it. You know. But this, this movie took the time and yeah, like, like the reviewer said, you felt like you were watching, uh, the gods play on earth. So, so much else right here. I want to, I want to get some of this in. Okay. Um, the opening incredibly epic, incredibly epic opening with that, with a scream from, from Superman as he's dying. Uh, I thought that that was that was brilliant and attaches it to, to Batman V Superman, uh, much better. Um, where the slowness also works is that when you get wonder woman's main action scene in the bank, um, towards the beginning, uh, because you get to take the time with that action scene, like it was well choreographed and very unique in 2017, but now you get to really appreciate that really low action because like she's, she's, beating the shit out of all these, uh, uh, well, terrorists in the film, but she's doing it without like standing up at all. And like from a very low vantage point. And it's really, it's a really cool fighting style. Like it almost looks like, uh, what do you call that? Uh, Caporia, right. The Brazilian fighting style. It, it almost looks like that. And, and it, it just works really well. Um, and her music comes in and it, and it's just fantastic. It's a great scene, but it's a great scene now because it's slower and it doesn't happen inside of two minutes. Uh, so you get to, you know, you really get to enjoy that. Um, and, and I, I know, I know uh, probably some people feel like that slowness might be pretentious. 
but you can't be pretentious with the gods, right? <laughs> when you're dealing with Batman, Wonder Woman, you know, and Superman, and even even bringing in, you know, Aquaman and Flash and Cyborg and and, and all and Darkseid, of course, you just you can't be like there's no such thing as pretentiousness when you're dealing with characters of that scale, of that caliber. Get a lot of Themyscira, uh, you know, Wonder Woman's home island. You get a lot of Themyscira in this movie, and that works really well. And I think can actually be very nice uh, buildup for the coming, which we talked about uh, in my Wonder Woman 1984 review uh, about the Themyscira based movie coming up. Um, This definitely, you know, gives a lot more color to that, I think, which I I applaud. Um, When you get the scene where you find out about the history of the mother boxes, right? Where you see the Atlanteans, uh, you know, the Amazons and everybody fighting you know, taking on whoever, um, that was cool in 2017. Now it's white hot, um, because you get dark side fighting. Um, you get, you get to see Zeus and Ares taking on dark side. And I mean, when Ares takes his ax, you know, gets, gets dark side right on, right on the shoulder. Fuck man. (laughs) And then, I mean, you have, um, you see the, uh, the green lantern, Yalan Gore, uh, you know, doing his thing that, that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> in fact, okay, let's stop for a second. This is one of the, so there's, you can hear me telling you how much was added to this movie that really worked. There were things that we know were either filmed or planned that did not. And, and this is one of the things that was filmed that still did not end up in this movie. The epilogue of this film of the Snyder cut, takes really looks like it takes a lot of like cut scenes and kind of finishes them off or like, like cut. Yeah. Cut scenes. We just call them that. Um, and like sets up for a bunch of other movies. Like we get more of the injustice universe. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but you get a lot of these, you know, like afterthoughts, it really plays like an actual epilogue where it's setting you up for more and closing out certain things. Uh, not just like, you know, a movie ending with whatever action, which I applaud. And I don't know why they did not put in, uh, originally there was a scene with the green lanterns, Kilowog and Tomar Ray that were supposed to be in this movie. And I don't know why those aren't here. They should have been put in because especially when, um, when Yalan Gore loses his, his ring, you know, you could have done some payoff with that. And you know, eventually Hal Jordan's got to be in this. Right. I mean, like, you know, it's the Justice League. If you're going to get any more Justice League movies, you need a, you need the Green Lantern. And I thought that was really missing, especially since we did get the scenes, uh, you know, with Ryan Choi, you know, the Adam, and we did get the scenes with Martian Manhunter, you know, included. And so I find it odd that those aren't there, but it probably has to do with, I don't know, I'm guessing Warner Brothers just, they're working on Green Lantern and they just don't want it touched as much as possible, but at least we still had Yolan Gore. And again, the re-inclusion of scenes like with Volko uh, and others, you know, other like Atlantean related scenes for Aquaman. I'm so glad those are there now because now for a lot of people, I think they'd make a ton more sense since Aquaman was such a wild success and rightfully so. Uh, So that, that was, that was an awesome touch to have that there. And you know, this, this was a funny movie. Like I laughed out loud. That doesn't happen often. Um, the, the interplay between Aquaman and flash was 
there were, I mean, it was, I thought it was really well done. Uh, very funny moments. I love the scene. I guess I'm giving the joke away. Spoiler alerts, but you know, you can't spoil this movie that much anyway, <laughs> considering it's kind of already been out there kind of, uh, but when, when flash is what they're, they're, they're digging, they're digging out the body of, uh, of Superman and flash says to, uh, says to Aquaman, you know, it's like in talking about wonder woman says, like, Hey, do, do you think she's under into younger guys? <laughs> and, uh, and Aquaman's like, you know, bro, she's 5,000 years old. Everybody's a younger guy to her. <laughs> and I thought that, that was so funny. That was so well done. Uh, yeah, very funny movie as well, which again, and it, it really wasn't Marvel humor either. At least I didn't feel it was, but you did get again, because the movie could breathe. You got a lot of moments between the characters, uh, that were, that were just, just phenomenal getting Superman in the black suit. Awesome. <laughs> Seeing him go to action in that, uh, and continue to wear it after the fact, you know, in, even in the, the epilogue, uh, was, was dynamite. Um, they really did attach this. Let's talk about this. They really did attach this more to the injustice timeline. Um, so when, in my review of wonder woman, 1984, when I said that I haven't read DC comics since about a year into new 52, that's not entirely true. Um, I have regularly read and think it's actually the best stuff that DC's done in forever. Um, I've regularly read the injustice, uh, gods among us. Uh, comic books, that whole timeline is amazing. You know, where Superman was the villain and so on. And they're clearly playing off of that. They started playing off of it in Batman V Superman. And that was, that was very well executed. And in this, they, they, they continue it. And that's where you get scenes with Joker. That's where you get more scenes with uh Deathstroke, you know, and Batman and everything. Um, and you know, maybe they're going to let Zack Snyder make that movie. And maybe that's why they ended off with that. So it is kind of a sequel to justice league, but it's playing in a different timeline than, I mean, that timeline was trying to get avoided anyway. It's not like Zack Snyder wasn't already setting this up. Like when flash, you know, shows up, which all this is in the comics is or part of it, partly in the comics. Um, you know, when flash appears in the past to, you know, to Bruce Wayne in Batman V Superman, a lot of this stuff is getting set up anyway. Uh, but if they want to go there, and frankly, bring Ben Affleck back in. Um, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. And getting so much more of dark side in this. Uh, I mean, it just, it showed you what's at stake. Why you need, cause here's the thing. A lot of times, even in the comic book, there's a bit of a failing here. I, I've actually never been a huge fan. I liked justice league Europe. And there are reasons for that, usually because they dealt with more of the gods, like actual, you know, like in our, you know, real world mythology. Um, more so than say like Justice League of America would, uh, and the annoyance with the like pro-American stance of that. But regardless, I didn't read Justice League a lot because a lot of times what they do is, is they would just raise the stakes by bringing in a lot more villains. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing or inherently a bad thing. It can be a good thing, but I'd much rather see the scenario where the bad guy is just that much that, you know, you really only have to take him on, you know, and it's everybody has to take him on. 
and and dark sides at that level granted dark side also has a gigantic army but that just kind of plays more into it uh i think i'll tell you i think warner brothers would be fools not to keep going with this they basically had the precious opportunity granted they didn't do it for us but they had the precious opportunity to rewrite history to rewrite a wrong which the 27 justice league was they got to rewrite a wrong um and they really could pick up with this with goodwill from the fans and keep building out their DCEU. Um, I just, I think they'd be fools if they didn't, but they're not going to listen to me. They don't listen to any of us. Regardless, if I was going to see a movie made by Zack Snyder, written and directed by Zack Snyder, that was a sequel to this movie, I'd actually be excited. Like on the level, like a Fast and Furious 9 excited. And that's high. Because those are the only modern movies I really care about. <laughs> Fast and Furious. This was a film where, where it felt like a comic book movie. A movie about comic books. Because again, it played at that scale. It did not waste time humanizing it. It played at the, at, you know, at, at the, on the biggest scales. On the biggest levels. If I want to watch a movie about human beings and there's nothing wrong with that, but if I want to go watch that, I'll go watch, I don't know, sneakers, right? <laughs> with Robert Redford or something. But most of the time, that's not what I go to the movies for. That's not what I put in a movie for. I put in something to see this, to see something like Zack Snyder's justice league. Phenomenal. Uh, again, I, I, I can't believe how good this movie turned out. And I think it's secret sauce really because you know all the elements or a lot of the a lot of the, the the again just the elements you know the pieces are there from the 2017 justice league i think a lot of it just really comes down to the fact that this movie could breathe that you could take time with it that it had those slower moments that it let you feel instead of just get bashed over the head so you you don't realize that oh i actually watched a shitty movie but you know my senses are so knocked out i have no fucking idea that i did uh, you know, this is one where, no, you know, you watch something really, really special. Um, some people might ask about the weird aspect ratio. In fact, I remember when I was, again, I don't, it's not out on Blu-ray and I don't have HBO max. How did I watch this movie? Hmm. Well, again, I will eventually buy the Blu-ray, but I torrented it and I actually torrented it like two or three times because the aspect ratio, I'm like, you know, I kept changing it in VLC saying like, what is, what is this? Is this a cam job? Did they fuck something up. Um, they, it, they did go with that very weird IMAX. It's not weird, but it's just different. They It's rare. They did go with that rare IMAX, uh, aspect ratio. It's not 16 by nine. It's, it's not four by three. You know, it's, it, it's just, it's this bigger. Um, I had no problem with watching that on a widescreen. I don't mind if he wants to have that vision of everything being taller, which I think when you're making a movie about characters that fly a lot, makes a whole ton of sense, much more than having the widescreen. I would be intrigued to see the remastered version of Batman V Superman. As far as I know, A, it's only released in the UK, kind of like the Snyder Cut, uh, on disc, and... I mean, I'll, maybe I could look for a torrent of that, but I, I'd get it again. Um, but apparently Zack Snyder did the same thing where he, well, he recolored it for one, which 
I'd be interested to see what that looks like, what that's all about. But he also put it into that, that larger aspect ratio, but that's only on 4k right now. It's not on 1080p Blu-ray, which I don't do 4k. So whatever, maybe at some point it'll come out on 1080p Blu-ray. We'll, we'll see when it gets an American release or something. Hell, make it a fucking bonus disc on the American release or on the North American release of, uh, of, of Snyder cut. Like I, I I'm, I'm there for that. So anyway, I've been going about an hour and a half. If you are wondering where you, if you're wondering, what did the stallion think? Did he think that this was actually worth the time? Cause that's four hours is a big investment. Is it actually that much better of a film than the 2017 justice league, which was, you know, just horrendous the answer is yes. It's worth four hours. Yes, it is a, it is, even though it's not, it is effectively a completely different film. It's amazing what you can do in the editing room, right? And with another $70 million, uh, it is, it is a completely other film. A part of me, (laughs) a part of me like almost wishes we could get, I I don't know. There are movies where I wish this, this kind of Snyder Snyder cut, or even like we mentioned before, the Donner cut of Superman two, right? where this could get done with other films at this level, not just like 10 minutes added in, but where it's a reworking re-editing, you know, new effects, all kinds of shit. You know, there are movies where this could get done where I think some piss poor movies could be turned into diamonds. And I would, I would really applaud if that happened. Um, I mean, Hollywood seems to be back in more or less full swing, so I don't see it happening, but it'd be interesting for some. I don't want to, say their names right now because some people would, well, I don't care if you laugh, but <laughs> some people would probably laugh at it, but maybe that's a conversation for another time. Um, anyway, go watch this, uh, in whatever way you need to, or can, um, I really, really, really wish the Blu-ray was out because this is such a big movie. There's a lot to see with fine detail. And I would have liked to have seen that fine detail. Admittedly, the torrent wasn't, it was fine, but you know, as torrents, a lot of torrents do, unless you're downloading multiple, 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 multiple gigabytes, uh, you're, you're going to see some pixelation and it just wasn't there. But Hey, the only person who, who can be blamed is Warner brothers, because again, I'd buy it. If you, if you put it out, if it was on the shelf, I'd buy, you know, your, 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 your cut, I'd buy this new cut on Blu-ray, but anyway, do check it out. I really, really think it's worthwhile. It is an entirely other film. Just forget about the one that came out in 2017. Most of the people making the new, uh, or the, the, the continuing DCEU movies also disregard the 2017 justice league. Patty Jenkins came out and even said, Hey, I was making, you know, when I was making my next wonder woman movie, it was based on Zack Snyder's vision of justice league, not what we got. So, you know, just forget about that movie. It's all right. We got to rewrite history and it worked. I'll leave it here. More Sovereign at the Movies to come. More Sovereign Tech Prime episodes to come very soon. And I will see all of you on the other side.